Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Acts. We're continuing in our series in the book of Acts as we explore first followers of Jesus. We're learning from, for, from first followers of Jesus what it means to be followers of Jesus. The world is full of controversy and conflict. Every headline seems to present this new debate inviting us to take up its cause. Acts 15 presents the most hotly debated issue of the early church. It was a controversy that had to be dealt with. It wasn't over masks. But the issue came down to what was necessary for salvation. What is absolutely necessary for salvation? What sets you apart? What identifies you as God's people, as the family of God? Some believed, and were actually preaching, that faith in Jesus plus something else was necessary. And today, many live as if that's true. And so the controversy was settled in Acts 15, but it needs to be settled again in our own hearts today. With that in mind, turn with me to Acts chapter 15. We'll begin in verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles or the non-Jews, and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who had belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the necks of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after this I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen, I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles, all the nations who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. 
And we'll pause there. Let's pray. Father, we're entering an, an ancient debate, an important debate, one that the early church had and one that we need to be aware of and have ourselves. We, we pray that you help us to engage this controversy with everything in us to see the importance behind it and why it's there, why it's given to us. Help us, Lord, we pray, by your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Three things I pray we see here in our text. One, controversy that needs to be settled. Two, comfort for unsettled minds. And three, conflict that couldn't be settled. It just, it couldn't be settled. So controversy that needed to be settled. Paul and Barnabas had gone throughout the region of Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey, and communities just like this, like local church St. Pete, had formed wherever they went. Disciples of Jesus, non-Jews, had put their faith and trust in Jesus as Messiah, anointed one, the rescuer, their savior. And, and beautiful communities like this were formed. In chapter 14, at the end of Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas are back in their sending church in Antioch, Syria, and they report how God had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. God had pushed open this door of faith for the Gentiles, and they got to be a part of that. There was just great celebration. Now, chapter 15, what we find is that men came down from Judea, Jerusalem, and were teaching, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. This is a debate surrounding God's covenant people, his family, who they are and how they become who they are. This is a debate about salvation, identity, covenant fulfillment. You see, promises God made to Israel had found their fulfillment in Jesus. Promises that really God has made to us had found their fulfillment in Jesus. And what had happened is that that door that they had reported was, was pushed wide open, had been pushed open to all nations without distinction. And so the question in the minds of every Jew was then, what is necessary for salvation? Because circumcision was the identity marker for Israel uh, for centuries. Now, I, I didn't bring a slide. I, I didn't feel like I had to um, draw it out, what circumcision is. I think you, you get it, you understand. If not, just... Talk to your neighbor later. Um, circumcision was given to Abraham by God, established through Moses in the giving of the Mosaic law by God. And so for these men coming from Jerusalem who were believers, they're followers of Jesus, but who are also of the party of the Pharisees, were trying to uphold the law of God, this is a huge concern. So much so they go to Antioch where there had been this revival, Gentiles coming to faith, and they, they went there to set them straight to make sure that they were obeying the law of God. And so before we write them off too quickly, let's think through their logic. If Jesus is the fulfillment of Jewish law and prophecies, it makes sense, so they thought, for followers of Jesus to take on the sign identifying them as the set-apart people of God. And what is that sign? Circumcision. So in other words... Those who want to follow Jesus need to first become Jewish. Take on that mark. Take on that sign. Why wouldn't this be required of Gentiles is what they're thinking. What is the sign? What is the badge that you belong to God? Is the, is the debate. 
And before we dismiss this debate as something irrelevant to us, as something maybe outdated, I want us to first consider where this debate, where this chapter is found in in Luke's account. Luke is the author of the book of Acts. It is in the center of Luke's account of the early church. So structurally and theologically, Luke is just pointing arrows all right, at this chapter, saying this is important. This is the most hotly debated issue within the early church. It has to be dealt with. And so I want us to properly understand this debate and enter this debate and see its relevance for our lives. But let's also remember uh, two very important things. Followers of Jesus have wrestled with how to honor the law, the commandments of God found in Torah, how to, how to uphold its authority and relevance to our lives ever since the time of Jesus. We, followers of Jesus have been wrestling with how do we do that, right? But also every generation of Jesus' followers has to answer the central question of this debate, and so do we. And the central question of this debate is this, what is necessary for salvation? What is necessary for salvation? To be a part of the people of God, to enter the family of God. We don't have the luxury, we don't have the option of avoiding this controversy. This is a debate we have to enter. And so in verse 2 of of Acts 15, we find in verse 2 that it says that there was no small dissension between Paul and Barnabas and these men who had come uh, from Jerusalem. Well, you got that right. No small dissension. They were rolling up their sleeves. They were ready to enter this debate. Why? They had seen this before. It was a threat to the gospel of grace. You see, Paul wrote the letter Galatians. Galatians is written uh, to these uh, new churches that had formed through the proclamation of the gospel in this area of this province of Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. The cities of Lystra and Derbe and Pisidia, Antioch and Iconium, the ones uh, that we learned about over the last few weeks. And so Paul wrote this letter, Galatians, and in this letter he writes how he is astonished. He's just blown away that the Galatians had so quickly deserted the gospel of grace, the good news of God's unmerited favor. What had they begun to do? They had begun to embrace false teaching. False brothers, he said, were apparently coming to them and insisting on circumcision, just like they were doing here. So imagine, just imagine what it would feel like for Paul and Barnabas to find out that people they invested in and loved had begun to embrace false teaching. And so this is an appropriate response. He's writing the letter of Galatians to encourage them, to challenge them, to protect them. I can only imagine, well, I can't imagine how it would feel. Imagine if someone came into our midst, into our community, and, and people here started to embrace false teaching. I'd be addressing that right away. And so it's appropriate for Paul to write the letter of Galatians. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 2, please. We're going to dip into this letter. I want you to see in Galatians chapter 2 what happens and how he calls out even Peter. Apparently, Peter had visited Antioch, and uh, he had separated himself from table fellowship with Gentiles. Now, table fellowship is a way of describing uh, this intimate fellowship expressed through worship and time over the broken body and shed blood of Jesus, communion, celebrating the central uh, uh, core beliefs of of being a Christian. And so this table fellowship is, is all about worship and how 
how Peter himself, when he visited the church of Antioch, he separated himself from the Gentiles when Jews from Jerusalem arrived. This is a problem. Let's read about it in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, Cephas is another name for Peter. When, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For certain men came from James, and he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? This was a, a hot topic in the early church. Peter. Peter. Because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group, pulled away from eating with Gentiles. Fear was the motive. Believing Jews were still practicing. So those who had faith in Jesus but were, had a Jewish heritage were practicing certain food laws and ceremonial practices. And so Peter had pulled away from those Gentiles who were not practicing those. You see, there's an issue of cleanliness. There's an issue of, can I, can I eat with this brother, this brother in Christ, even though he's not practicing uh, these, these laws, these ceremonial laws? This was a huge issue. Paul calls it out as hypocrisy, which is a Greek word for play acting. It's pretending to be something you're not. Peter's sin is a mixture, for sure, of nationalism, a form of legalism that took great pride in his race or nation over above others. Fear is the motivating factor. Peter betrayed his own convictions, and, and, and Paul opposed him to his face. He says he wasn't acting in line with the truth of the gospel. Time out. If Peter can not act in line with the truth of the gospel, do you think that's possible for you and I? Absolutely. Go back to Acts 15. Paul and Barnabas are appointed to go to Jerusalem to work this out. They're apparently not working it out in Antioch, and so they are sent with a delegation to go to Jerusalem and work this debate out, figure it out. And in verses 6 through 19, it's known as the Jerusalem Council. And in it, there's much debate. We're only given a little sliver, a little slice of this debate. But we see Peter speak up. Peter's the first to speak up, interestingly. And he recalls how almost 10 years prior, in the early days, this, he, he reports about this, this, this time where the Lord used him, and it was made clear to Peter by the Holy Spirit that the gospel was for everyone without distinction. And without a doubt, Peter was thinking about um, the time where the Lord showed him uh, this, this vision where this sheet fell down from heaven. It was filled with all kinds of animals that they weren't supposed to eat. And, and God said, don't, don't call anything unclean that I have made clean. And, and, and what, it, it just became very clear to Peter that in that moment, uh, the gospel was going to go forth and, and, and be something not only for Jews, but for Gentiles, for non-Jews, those who would be considered unclean. And 
The very next moment, someone knocks on the door from Cornelius, a centurion's house, a Roman, and Peter goes to his house, preaches the gospel. Cornelius and family and friends receive Jesus as Savior. The Spirit of God falls on them, and Peter sees the evidence of God's presence in that place, and he's convinced this message is for everyone. Peter knows this. He's reporting in the council right there. It's not an us and them mentality. We're cleansed by faith. Don't place a yoke, don't place a burden on anyone that they're not able to bear. Don't impose this ceremonial requirement on them. It's not right. We are saved through the grace of Jesus, and so are they. Did Peter then wink at Paul, knowing what history they shared? Knowing how Paul had previously rebuked Peter? I think he might have winked at him. Just because this is settled in your heart doesn't mean that you won't ever wrestle with it again. You see how Peter had wrestled with it? You see how Peter was, was drawn away when this group came from Jerusalem? He started kind of questioning and doubting and fearing. And he, he really just betrayed his own convictions. Just because something is settled in our hearts, it doesn't mean we won't ever wrestle with it again. Salvation is by grace through faith. It is a gift received. It, it is not a wage earned. The question of this debate, the question of this controversy is, is it Jesus plus circumcision equals salvation? Or for us, is it Jesus plus what? Performance? Good works? If I go to church enough, we keep falling prey to this kind of the scale. Oh, if I do good enough, it's going to outweigh the bad. Then the Lord will accept me. Or maybe we know, no, that's not right. That's not grace. And it's not grace. We're accepted based on whose merits? The Lord Jesus. His perfect obedience in our place his sacrificial death on the cross for our sins he received the punishment we deserve and by faith in him in his life death and resurrection we receive life eternal age to come life here and now we're made new creations in Christ Jesus it's by grace through faith it's a gift of God so that we can't boast so I can't boast that I'm a pastor. I can't boast that I lead worship. I can't boast. I don't stand before God made right because of any of those things. It's because of Jesus alone. He's my badge. He's my identity marker. We learned it last week. We stand in Christ. We're in Christ Jesus. And we might know that, but it doesn't mean that we're not going to wrestle with that. On any given week or month or day, we're like, man, again, I messed up again. In that same area, again, we have to preach the gospel to ourselves. Can I approach God with all this baggage, all this stuff I've been wrestling with this week? I mean, don't I have to get clean? How? How are you going to get clean? Is there another way? You're going to add to the merits of Christ? You're going to add to the finished work of Jesus? Oh, but we, we begin to believe that. We're going to wrestle with it. This is, this is part of walking out our faith. There's a wrestling match. Jesus plus what? What could we add? What could we add? If we try to add anything, we're saying Jesus is not enough. Are you acting? Are you living as if Jesus is not enough? Righteousness, acceptance, forgiveness. It can't be achieved on our own. It can't be achieved by any national or racial or social or moral requirement. You can't meet the conditions, but Jesus has. And that's the scandal of the cross. 
That's the offense of the cross. Paul will write in Galatians 5 later in his letter about the offense of the cross. He says, I don't preach circumcision. I don't preach it. He refused to know anything but the cross of his Lord Jesus. That's what he boasts in. He said it's offensive. It's a stumbling block to many. But it's the power of God to those who believe. Jesus is the only badge of membership, church. He's the only identity marker that we need. It was being settled in Acts 15 thousands of years ago. It needs to be settled again this morning in our hearts. So Peter speaks up. Barnabas and Paul speak up. They report the signs and wonders that God had done in their journey. James then speaks up. This is Jesus' brother. If you remember James, I'm not talking about James and John, the sons of thunder. That James has been martyred. This is James, the brother of Jesus. This is the one in John, I think it's chapter 7. Uh, he participates, just makes fun of his brother Jesus, which kind of makes sense. I mean, brothers do that. But he's making fun of Jesus. He doesn't believe he's Messiah at this time. Jesus is going to uh, publicly reveal himself. He's going to preach in a way that's going to get him into trouble. But James is just making fun of him. But here, he's the respected leader of the early church. He's put his faith and his hope in Jesus, his half-brother, as Messiah. And he sums up the debate beautifully. And he quotes Amos, chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. Look what he says in verse 15. And with this, the words of the prophets agree. Agree about what? Agree that God is taking from people of all nations to make a name for himself. And here's what the prophet Amos says. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the nations, all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. What is James doing? James is first and foremost leaning on the authority of Scripture. But, but James is also looking to... Uh, a prophetic word that speaks about what God is going to do, not only with Israel, but with all nations. All nations who are called by my name, the scripture says. This, what he's saying is this isn't plan B. What God is doing here, what God is speaking through Peter and working through Paul and Barnabas, what God is doing here isn't plan B, it's plan A. This is the fulfillment of promises of old through Jesus. And I'm sure in that moment, you could hear a pin drop. I'm sure in that moment, for those on both sides, the circumcision party and Paul and Barnabas, tears were starting to well up. Fulfillment of promises that God has made for ages and ages. The Spirit is correcting, he's clarifying, he's imparting, he's protecting the early church through this council. And the final conclusion is made by James in verses 19 through 21. It's agreed upon by everyone they're going to send a letter to these churches. We're not going to lay any additional burden on these Gentile believers. It is by grace through faith that we are saved. Second, comfort for unsettled minds. Let's read about it. Then it seemed good to the apostles and to the elders with the whole church, verse 22, to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabas and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter, they sent this letter, the brothers, both the apostles and the elders to the brothers who are of the Gentiles 
in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you would do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after that, after they had spent some time there, they were sent off in peace by the brothers uh, to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. A unanimous decision is reached. That required humility and courage. It required a move of the Holy Spirit. A unanimous decision was reached by the council. This after much debate, this after much conversation and thoughtful reflection on scripture, they send Paul and Barnabas back to Antioch with a letter backed up with Judas or Barsabas and Silas. How many times have I texted or emailed someone and I just thought to myself, oh man, they're not gonna get it. They're, they're not gonna hear my tone. I don't want them to misunderstand what I'm saying. They're not gonna hear my, my heart for them. Maybe I've texted some of you in this room or emailed you. And, and, and no emoji is going to make up for it, right? And so I, I just pick up the phone and I'll call you and I, uh, or I'll, I'll talk to whomever that I'm worried about. And I just, listen, this was my heart behind that. I just want you to know. I want you to hear it. That's exactly what they're doing. They're writing a letter to these churches, but they're sending Judas, Barsabas, and Silas to back up their words. They've affirmed Paul and Barnabas, their ministry. They risked their lives. These are beloved brothers. But we're also going to send Silas and Judas uh, to back up what we're saying and to encourage you like crazy. And that's what they're doing. Verses 23 through 29 is the letter. And, and in this letter, it starts with calling them brothers, brothers who are Gentiles. So right away, the letter screams inclusion. It acknowledges that these Gentiles are part of the family of God. And, and, and they talk about how uh, some had come to you and troubled you with words and unsettled your minds. They didn't have our backing at all. They didn't have our authority. They might have come from us, but they didn't have our authority. You ever been troubled or unsettled by things you heard preached, things you observed in a church? You ever been troubled by endless debates or arguments or controversy? Have you ever been troubled, unsettled by, maybe, maybe you grew up in the church and you saw something else was central besides the gospel, besides the centrality of Jesus, and it just so disturbed you, and it's a miracle, really, that you're sitting in this space, that you're here today. I'm glad you are. Many of us have been troubled. Many of us have been, had these, uh, this unsettled mind when it comes to theological debate and controversy. We just want to say, forget about it. This is how it's going to be. Forget about it. But I want, to, I want us to be careful not to just forget about it. 
when we have this troubled mind, when our minds, when our hearts are unsettled because of what we've heard or something we've observed, let's trust the Lord to bring grace. Let's trust the Lord to bring clarity. He's able. The Spirit of God used this counsel and sent these men who wrote a letter to ease their minds. Confident the Spirit had guided their decision, the council did not want to lay any burden on these new followers of Jesus beyond a few things. Things that are not necessary for salvation, but things that make sense, complete sense in their context. You might say, man, this is confusing. I thought that they weren't going to require anything. It's by grace that you're saved through faith. Why any of this? Why can't they just write that? It makes sense in their context for the sake of Jewish believers and those who would become believers who are Jews to do the following. To be careful not to get involved with activities connected with idols. Come out of that. You've been connected with pagan idolatry for far too long. Essentially is what the letter is saying. Come out of that. Remain sexually pure. Keep away from the practices of local temples and cults. Don't serve food that's offensive to your Jewish brother in Christ Jesus. There is no unnecessary offense needed. You don't need to put on Judaism. You don't need to be circumcised, but you do need to put off certain practices common among those who don't know Jesus. You do need to put off some practices that are common among those who don't know Jesus. He's calling them to live a careful life of wisdom and love within the context that God had placed them. It was a call to personal holiness. It was a call to live within their context with wisdom and love, mindful of those around them, mindful of Jews who were still obeying certain Jewish food laws, not for salvation, but because that was uh, an expressed devotion to the Lord still. And so they were saying, hey, listen, be mindful of their conscience. Be mindful of their practice maybe of their weaknesses. For them, to be mindful of a Jewish brother was an expression of love. Be mindful and careful to to recognize that these individuals might be expressing their devotion in a certain way, not for salvation, but as an expression of devotion. Again, that table fellowship. This letter is a beautiful expression of wisdom, love, and care for the early church. It doesn't cover everything for all time in every context it should lead us to ask where we might be unnecessarily offending others. They lived in a culture where sex with a stranger, sex with a group, sex as a form of worship at pagan temples was the norm. What practices are you justifying because they're the norm within our culture? The letter was calling them away from practices that were the norm in their culture to be a set-apart people. We live in a hookup culture. What practices do you need to get away from that have been the norm here in the city of St. Pete, here in our culture in the United States, 2021? This letter was a success. The people received it with great joy. They celebrated. Judas and Silas brought great word of encouragement in addition to this letter. It's really a a beautiful expression of love, of walking and, and careful wisdom and care for those around you. Are we going to do that 
This is our opportunity. This is our day to walk in love, to be mindful of the context that we have been placed in to walk in holiness and love. Finally, there's a conflict that just can't be settled. We learned about a controversy that had to be settled, and there was some comfort along the way for unsettled minds, but here is a conflict that just couldn't be settled, and to be honest, it feels like mom and dad are fighting, and it's a little awkward. But look with me, please, in verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them uh, to, to the work. And, and there arose such a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. What's going on here? What's going on here are two very good friends who have labored together for a long time can't agree. You're thinking, they can't work this out? They just worked out the greatest controversy in the early church? And they can't work this out? I know. It just goes to show how hard relationships are. You can love someone and so disagree with them in practice that it pushes you to go separate ways, and that's what happened here. Same goal, different approach. It doesn't mean they didn't love each other. It doesn't mean that they had this unresolved sin and bitterness and resentment towards one another. We don't get that here. Barnabas and Paul had labored together for many years. They defended the gospel. They risked their lives. They weren't throwing fists at each other. They weren't cussing each other out. They couldn't agree. They couldn't agree. And it turned out to be more effective for the sake of the gospel. Maybe it's okay. Two brothers in Christ who can't agree on a non-essential issue. Oh, they agree on the essential, the gospel. Maybe it's okay. I I think it is okay. We know Mark became dear to Paul later in life. We see it in his writings. So the one who Paul didn't want to come on his journey became so dear to him later. It, It doesn't matter who was right, Barnabas or Paul. What matters is the gospel went forward. And so as we close, listen, sandwiched between uh, the biggest controversy of the early church, an unresolved conflict between high-profile leaders, sandwiched between controversy and conflict is, is comfort, comfort that brings encouragement and strength to the churches that it formed. It was a Holy Spirit comfort. It was a comfort that shouted of the sufficiency of Jesus It was a comfort that shouted that Jesus is your identity marker. Jesus is your badge. Jesus is the one who makes it possible for you to be a part of the family of God. It's Jesus plus nothing that brings salvation. It's Jesus. And so by faith in him, you've become children of God. Let that bring encouragement and strength. If you've not put your faith in Christ, if you, you wondered, how does this work? How do I become a follower? I, I, I want this. Where do I go next? What do I do next? You come with your empty hands. You come with your sin, your brokenness, and you say, I, I, I need you, Jesus, to rescue me from my sin, from my shame, from myself. Transform my heart. Make me new. I look to you alone what you did for me. That's the place to start.
And as followers of Jesus, when we're tempted to go back to that balancing act, to the scales, I gotta do, I gotta do, I gotta do for him to accept, for him to accept me. I gotta keep doing, I, I, I was so bad this week, I was so bad, and, and how is he gonna accept me? It's, it's because of the finished work of Jesus. Always and forever will be. Just because this controversy was settled in your heart at one time doesn't mean you won't wrestle with it again. Have you reverted back to performance? A performance mentality in your walk with Jesus. Is your mind unsettled? Is it troubled? This controversy was settled in Acts 15. Oh, I pray it's settled again in your heart this morning. What is necessary for salvation? Faith in Jesus. His finished work. Jesus is the only badge of membership. He is the only identity marker that we need. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what you have done through your son Jesus. The door that has been opened to us, the nations. You've heard this message about Jesus and what it means and how we can be rescued out of our sin, out of our rebellion, out of our shame, and it's changed us. Lord, protect us from reverting back to a performance mentality. Our good works did not earn this place that we stand in. Our good works never, never could earn the salvation that we receive in Christ. And so please keep us from believing the lie that our good works will, 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 will somehow keep us or are, are, will somehow make us acceptable before you. It doesn't work that way. It's you. It's what you have done through Jesus, always and forever. But out of that, Lord, let there be this, this striving for and this desire to now live our lives Lives that reflect holiness and lives that reflect that we walk in wisdom and love towards outsiders and toward, toward those in our city. Help us to do that for your glory. In Jesus' name.